I remember a few months ago, this really popular Korean drama came out in Netflix called It's Okay Not to Be Okay. And it really exploded to the point where a lot of my friends who said they wouldn't watch Korean dramas in a million years all started really, really getting into it. Um, I did not join them, but the title did get me thinking and it made me realize that it actually pointed to a reality in our society where oftentimes we expect people to have to appear okay all the time. And for those that are not okay and try to seek care, we would often ridicule them, call them weak, attention-seeking, drama queens, while in fact, they're truly suffering inside and really need care in order to be able to feel better. And so this led me to record today's episode that focuses on mental health with a really special guest that I'll introduce later in the episode, as I think this is a really relevant topic for the time that we're in and also for masculinity in general, as... Uh, mental health care is stigmatized even more so with men than women due to the expectations that society puts on us. Super excited. So yeah, let's get on with the episode. Lucas, Palucas. <laughs> you know what's still really confusing for me trying to figure out what to call you? I did an episode with Mr. Eric last week and I was still calling him Mr. the entire time, even though I call other adults his age by their first name. And I mean, for you, you were my uh, old counselor, high school counselor. Yeah. Hey, whatever, whatever is comfortable with you. La. I know, I know, because I, I experienced the same thing. Mrs. Judy will always be Mrs. Judy. Mr. Bruce will always be Mr. Bruce, even though I might like call someone else's at the same age. Yeah, just yeah. Name, right? <laughs> just because they're my teacher. So for all the listeners, I have with me today Lucas Limanjaya, my old high school counselor and also one of the co-founders of Calm, an online counseling platform here in Indonesia. And today we're going to be talking about the topic of mental health. Is it okay for men to cry? Is it okay for us to show our emotions? And is it okay to not be okay? Um, I'm really excited for the conversation today. I think this is a really relevant topic for the time that we're in and really relevant to healthy masculinity. So yeah, let's get to it. Um, so, Kolukas, let's go with that. Can you start by talking a bit about how you started Calm and and how did this idea come about? Um. So, okay, so Calm started actually from a conversation uh, during a lunchtime with one of the co-founders uh, between me and uh, Angela. Uh, so at that time, I completed my master's degree in Christian counseling from Westminster Theological Seminary in uh, Philadelphia um, in the United States. And I was trying to figure out what to do after that, right? Um, so, and during that conversation, she told me about you know, her longtime desire to create a mobile platform where people can get counseling easily and practically. Uh, I don't, even though at that time I wanted to say no because you know, um, startup wasn't necessarily something that I was interested in, in starting. Right. Uh, but then I felt like at that time, for lack of a better word, yeah, I think uh, God was telling me to take a leap of faith and, and to do it anyway. And so uh, because of that, we decided to start it and we asked for one more person to join us as uh, a co-founder. Um, she, her name is Karina, and she's a licensed psychologist, uh, graduated from UI. And at that time, she also just finished her 
um, master in counseling and just got her license. And so that's why um, we decided to ask her to join in because we want to have someone that is familiar with the, the psychology um, world in Indonesia. And that's how Combo started. What was it like for you transitioning from your previous career to starting a startup? <laughs> like for me, I remember you as my high school counselor. And I think before you were doing a master's in theology. And so um, I would imagine that it was a steep learning curve doing a startup after all that. Uh, was that was that the case? It was actually um, because even before. Uh, so before I was a, a school counselor, I was in the um, basically in the corporate world. Mm. I was working for a family business uh, for a few years, um, but then running a family business and running uh, trying to run a startup is uh, almost totally different things because there are different um, approaches and there are different um, things that you might do in a family business that you won't do in a startup or things that that. Of course, there are also transferable, I guess, knowledge and skills as well. But then at that time, I was like, I think I was three years, uh, three years since I was working for my parent, uh, for my family business. So even then, uh, when I when I started the startup, I think I is totally, I was living a totally different world. Like, you know, in living as a counselor in a school is have a different requirement and skill set uh, rather than, you know, running or help run a family business right so the learning curve is definitely steep and I think even um, the first even now there's a lot of things that I'm still learning as a startup co-founders that I you know I'm trying to catch up um, especially when I know I have a lot because I have a lot of startup mm. uh, founder friends um, around me and looking at them and looking at myself I know for myself there's so much more things I have to learn i I think I feel like I'm playing catch up all the time. <laughs> I think one of the things I heard is your church, HMCC, uh, is called the Silicon Valley Church because literally everyone there <laughs> works in tech, yeah, either works in a tech company or yeah. they founded their own startup. Either, they, work either, they either work in startup or they work in tech or they they work in consulting. And even after that, usually after they finish, you know, after they resign from their consulting job, they will, you know, ended up starting a startup. <laughs> yeah good place to network uh yeah i have to say it is a great is a, is a great uh place to not only network i think because you know i think the because the context is also a church right so um they're very open and they're very willing to teach and you know share their experiences and their wisdom to each other so i think uh it's great you know having having friends uh church friends like that I was actually really surprised that you guys managed to start an online counseling platform in Indonesia of all places. At least as someone who grew up here, I've always thought that the country never really cared about that stuff too much. And I feel like culturally speaking, usually it is more of that, oh, stop complaining and, you know, don't show too much emotion type of mindset, especially as a guy, right, where we're, I think the standards are even higher for us to be that like, oh, tough guy that can't show uh, any emotions. Uh, uh, do you think that that's still like the mindset or do you think there has been progress? In, in some ways, it's still kind of the same. There's still mm -hmm. a stigma uh, for people who are looking for mental health and for mental health itself, right? People, especially guys who wants to take care of their mental health or are trying to find help for their mental health can be branded as weak or, mm. um, you know, they're, they're looking for attention. And I, actually, it's not only for guys, but girls as well, right? And I think uh, 
especially the most popular thing, uh, the pop- most popular stigma that, that, that I've heard is, you know, if you have a problem with your mental health, means that you lack faith, right? You don't, you, oh, you're not close enough with God, or you just need to pray, and then, you know, and then your mental health problem will be fixed, or um, our country is predominantly uh, Islam, right? So what they will say, like, you know, oh, because it's because you don't, you know, solat. Uh, you don't solve it enough, right? So those are the different stigma that, that people have. But I think on the other hand, uh, I do see it being improving uh, from from before. Um, and partly it's because social media, right? There are a lot of negative consequences and impact of social media, but thankfully there's also like positive impact of social media as well. And one of them is uh, people are more willing to talk about it and be more open. Um, I found that there are some uh, influencers and there are some uh, Indonesian actress and you know who are starting to open up about their mental health problems and their mental health struggles and they got a lot of response from a lot of followers right that are, that are supporting them and I think once they they start to talk about it a lot of people realize that you know they're not alone that there are a lot of people out there who are struggling with the same um, problem that they have so Yes, there is a stigma still. On the other hand, I am quite uh, positive and hopeful because uh, when I see the trend is that people are starting to, we're more willing to engage in the conversation and be more open to finding help and and talk about it. Mm. So when you guys were doing your initial market research for Calm, you guys found that a lot of people want this kind of service? Yep, yep. Um, So when we... When we look, uh, when we started our market research, uh, we did found that you know the younger generations are more willing to talk about it, right, and more willing to engage. Um, if we talk about the generation prior to us, you know, uh, maybe your your parents and my parents' generation, it is still more difficult, right? Um, and it's it's not as open for them uh, the the topic of mental health, but for you know our age and younger, especially the. Um, the millennials and the Gen Gen Ys and the especially also with the coming of you know uh, the pandemic right a lot of the young a lot and a lot of the young uh, populations of Indonesia are you know they're they're not only willing to talk about it they're actually quite eager to talk about it that's what I found. Mm. So with the pandemic, did you guys see that the demand for your platform skyrocketed during this time? I would imagine that to be the case since people are just home now. They're probably mm. suffering more from depression and loneliness and can't really talk to anyone yeah. else. And yeah. so an online counseling platform uh, should be useful to them, I would think. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Um, <laughs> I think when the pandemic started, um, I think it was, at, I think the pandemic started to really run its course in Indonesia uh, March 2020, March to April 2020, right? Right, right. And, uh, and at that at the same month, right? I think um, for even for our company as well. So March, April, May, June, we had like a, a sudden, like a, a sharp uh, uptick in our in our service, uh, you know, in, in our demand, the demand for our services. So uh, I think it was up to ten x, ten to twenty x. I think. At, oh at, wow! <laughs> yeah, from before. So definitely, there's a lot more. Uh, demand. I think a lot of a lot of people they they start to realize that they are stressed out, right? Um, a combination of different things, right? At that time, there's not much information about COVID, and so there's a lot of uh, anxiety and there's a lot of like you know fear going around, um, and then also being cooped, being forced to be cooped up uh, from 
you know, mm. isolated from a lot of, you know, the, your loved ones also makes you even more stressed. So I think even those who are maybe uh, never think about mental health kind of have to be, you know, rec- they have to reckon with whether they want it or not, right? When you're isolated for so long, especially I think there's a lot, in Jakarta, especially, I found that there's a lot of people from, you know, maybe uh, other cities that are looking for work in Jakarta and things like that. So a lot of them, they live in, uh, in what do you call it, like a cost cost So they have to be, they, they're forced to be alone. They can't even go out and meet with their friends and, and hang out with their friends, right? So it's even, for, especially for them, uh, stress, you know, it stresses them out. Um, not only that, there are people who, their relationship with their own family might not be the best. And prior to pandemic, right, whenever they feel like that, they just go out and, you know, hang out with their friends, doing different things, out, you know, taking out themselves out, out of the picture from that context. But now they can't, they're, they're, they're stuck with people that they might not, you know, they might love, but they might necessarily like. And I think that also, like, you know, uh, exacerbate the, the situation of their mental health they're getting worse. So even companies before that, uh, prior to that, we have to be the one chasing companies, you know, kind of like introducing ourselves. Uh, starting since the pandemic, I think it's more often that the companies uh, reach out to us and, and asking about our programs and different things that we can deliver uh, as part of our B2B um, offerings to them. I'm not sure if I should be happy that people are being more open about it and you're getting more business or people are increasingly being more and more lonely and depressed. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, I guess. They're, 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 I think I, the way I see it is um, they have to you know, come face to face with the reality that yes, mental health is important and you do have to take care about it. You have to take care of um, your mental health. It's, is it bad? Yes, of course it's bad. I think I, think I, I remember like, uh, I think one of the magazine, uh, international magazine uh, saying that we are right. Uh, during the pandemic, we are in a, like an experiment, like a global experiment about what does it mean to be a human being, right? Like as a, so, as a social creature. And so, of course, as a social creature, when we are being isolated like that, uh, forced to be isolated, forced to uh, be to acknowledge that there's a lot of things that we are um, not necessarily in control of that really stresses you out, right? But on the other hand, I think um, that's when we are given a choice whether, you know, how do we manage and how do we really uh, confront those challenges and we can, you know, go through it a lot uh, stronger or worse off. In a, in a sense, it is bad, but on, other, on the other hand, I guess it's also can be said to be a, an opportunity for, you know, for us to be, you know, to come out stronger as a society as well and to be more caring as well. Right, right. Yeah. How would you define Calm's approach to counseling as a whole? I feel like with counseling or maybe just talking about your problems in general, people tend to assume that there's a one-size-fits-all approach that they can use for any kind of problem, and then they end up making, they would end up becoming Mm. more dismissive and just giving really, really generic answers and not really helping out the person at the end. So how did you guys like go about addressing that? Yeah, so for us, I think in the big picture, we, what we, I guess our vision is a world with no more broken people. So that's what we try to, you know, our our impossible goal, right? That's our vision. And how we try to achieve that is we say that uh, our goal is to create uh, a calm space where 
you can uh, that you can access anywhere anytime that you need um, so in this calm space is not necessarily a, a a geographical place in itself right um, but it's almost like a state of mind as well um, and we realized that when you have um, not with with counseling i think it's even with with it's similar with with doctors as well you know there are some times when you go uh there are times when you go to you know check your you know you, you let's say you you got a um, a flu right and you go to a certain doctor um when you when you fit you know after you you're done with that doctor even if it's a matter of your uh psycho you know not, not psychological but physiological there are some times when you go to the doctor and you come out you like you kind of feel like feeling a bit worse yeah worse off because you feel like oh the doctor is kind of like cold or or you know rushing you and things like that and you feel a little bit worse off and there are some doctors that you go to and then you like it you like the doctor you like that particular doctor so next time you you know continually go to that doctor and i think part of it is because the way the doctor can you know relate and listen to you and you somehow just connect with you i think it's the same with with uh, psychology as well um we realize that chemistry is, is is something that's important um and so that's why yeah we don't believe in one size fit all right we, we call our, our online counselor counselors uh come online counselors so even though we have over 200 different counselors with different approaches uh in in our um in our pocket so there's one who have different you know um there, there's one that's maybe more you know have a more christian approach there's one that has more be like more uh, you know have a different religion background from from islam uh, to buddhism and things like that uh, and each of uh, i think have a slightly different approach from one one to the other you know depending on what they studied uh, and so that's why in what we the way we built up our system actually if you ever uh, feel that the one you're talking to at that point does not suit you or there's no chemistry with that counselor you can just change uh without any oh, kind of like penalty or anything like that so you can switch around the, with the counselors so until you find someone who really really fit your you know your niche right someone who can really you feel like you're you're you know you're listened to and understood can help you out um so that's what we we try to do with our uh, user at least and i think it goes both ways actually um, oh so in in Calm, it's not just that the user can change, the counselor can also request for a change, because the counselor might find that oh you know what uh, this particular topic I'm not really um, an expert of, or you know I don't think uh, my my client is being helped you know is really can be helped by me. I think uh, he or she needs someone else that could uh, relate better to to the client, or uh, yeah there's there's something just something off. Uh, between the two in the in the chemistry and so in order for the the counseling process to be as um, helpful and as optimal for the client the counselor himself or herself can ask to change to be requested to like you know uh, let's find him or her another counselor mm. so i think that's the nice thing about having you know a, a pool of counselor right in in one place i think if it's face to face of course it's going to be hard right it's going to be difficult um, because you might need to, you know, uh, with all the hassles, you have to, you know, call first, make an appointment, go there. And then when you're there, oh, you don't, you know, it doesn't really fit, um, doesn't, you doesn't really click with each other. And then what? 
you're kind of stuck, right? You have to do the whole process all over again. I think with us, I think also the, the nice thing about technology and you know, enabling, you being able to pull all the resources into one place, all the counseling in one place, I think it allows us to also do something like that. Oh, wait, um, quickly on that though, I mean, do you guys do any kind of checking to see whether the reason someone wants to switch is actually legitimate? Like, what if it's, you know, like a like a ridiculous or stupid reason? Like, <laughs> oh, like he's he's oh, yeah, boring, yeah, yeah, yeah. she's boring, like they're ugly or whatever, and I just don't want to talk to them anymore. Um, I mean, how would you, how, how do you guys uh, deal with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we just ask, like, basically, whenever anyone... Uh, either either the user or the counselors when they change counselor we ask them what's the reason behind it um, as simple as that uh, and then like you know uh, a lot of times yeah for the user they might say you know they might be like oh I just want someone who can give me a different kind of like I just need someone with with different perspective right right or they will like say that oh you know what I don't think this counselors uh, has been giving me a good service and that's when when that when that happens, then we kind of try to get into it, right? Like, okay, what happened? What really happened? So we ask the counselors, we ask the user, what happened? What's going on? In what um, way that the the counseling you know process wasn't really helpful and things like that. But in general, I think that that happens very very rarely. I think less than a percent. Um, I think the reason why it's quite rare for a user. Uh, or a client um, not being helped by an approach um, is because I think any kind of approach help you to organize your thoughts and organize the, the experience, right? In just different ways. And I think from, so from this organization to any kind of organized, uh, organized uh, uh, method, organizing method is still helpful. So whatever approach or whatever therapy, right? I think a lot of times with therapy is to um, help the the client or the user kind of make make sense mm. of what's going on, and kind of like organize their thoughts and organize uh, and then uh, have a a um, uh, a certain quote unquote homework to help you be more organized in that sense. So I think um, whatever approach that helps you to kind of understand more of your your story and your your situation, it's still it will be helpful to a different degree. Mm. Yeah, I guess when I was making my earlier comment, I was thinking more about talking about your mm. problems to non-professionals like your friends and family. Um, I think mm. when you talk to them, inevitably, they're going to have all sorts of emotional biases towards you that's going to mm. um, impact the kind of counsel and advice they give you. Um and I guess with professionals, you don't really have those biases. And so a lot of those issues don't happen. Mm. Yeah. They have less in stake, at stake, in a sense, in their relationship, right? So the relationship has been defined from the beginning between it's going to be a professional relationship between a counselor and a, and a client, right? Um, and so that's the, that's the function. And so that's why even for, for us, um, like, you know, we we don't approach um, not, we don't recommend um you to get counseled by someone that is so close to you yeah the example that comes to my head is let's say you want some dating advice um and you ask mm. your family or close friends about it for sure they would want you to get married as soon as possible oh, and so could, they would could. definitely be pushing <laughs> in that direction and probably won't consider all the facts mm, yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think it's not only that. I think I think uh, in terms of biases, I think even counselors, uh, professional, will you know whether they realize it or not, there's still a certain bias or certain kind of like mm. worldview that they hold, right? And what is good and what is not good, you know. Um, and so uh, let's say a counselors with a background that that you know, Asian background, for example, that sees um, marriage as a really really good thing, you know, um, they could without them realizing, right? Because the, their worldview is saying that marriage is good even without they realize it or not, um, they could still uh, give, present a good, I guess, a good uh, reason why marriage is good and why, yes, it's good for you to pursue it. On the other hand, you know, if let's say there's another counselor that have, you know, experienced a divorce and a really, really bad divorce, for example, and then you talk about marriage, then, you know, they will, he or she will come with a different kind of set of biases, right? Um, but I think, the the difference between a you know a friend or a family with a professional is that one they are trained to be a you know an active listener uh, first of all so even then you might feel more understood by that person and I think secondly um, it is more likely that they acknowledge and realize that they do have those biases and can guard themselves mm, right right. So shifting to talking about mental health for men specifically, uh, before this call, you sent me a bunch of really interesting statistics that mm. I've that I didn't know before. Um, men are four times more likely to commit suicide than women. Men are one point five times more likely to experience abuse. Men make up the vast majority of the prison population, and even for calm users, only twenty to thirty percent of them are. Mm male and the rest is female um so yeah this is gonna be a pretty broad multifaceted question but how do you think we got to this point where mental health care is so much more stigmatized in men than women um like i feel with women they're a lot more comfortable talking about their feelings and being vulnerable with each other while for us like yeah. we're usually um, still in that mindset of oh like I have to be a tough alpha guy like I can't show any emotion because it's a sign of weakness and for me to yeah. seek mental health care um, is unmanly unmasculine or you know whatever um, yeah like how did how did this happen and I mean is there is there anything yeah. we can do about it uh, I think the reason why we got to this one is I think I can think of several different reasons. I think the first one is um, talking about, you know, talking biologically, right? I think there are certain mm. things that um, we as men just have uh, that, um, like, for example, we are not necessarily as social as, as women, right? Um, and so in that sense is that, you know, like, I think I can't remember um, the number, but I think you know, in a day, if you can calculate the number of words that a man and, and a woman would, would say, um, I think if I'm not mistaken, I, I need to check this again, uh, that I think women have like five times more words than a men have in a day. <laughs> and so like, I think by the end of the day, if you have like, you know, if you, you know, finish your quota and then so you're, you're tired, so you don't want to talk about it, right? So you're just like, you know, you just being quiet and in general uh women are more interested in emotion and, and you know and feelings and social studies and things like that whereas uh, most male 
uh, most men will be more interested in more like a hard sciences, um, you know, like more, something that things that are more exact. So they're more interested in things, whereas uh, women are more interested in, in relationship and in whatever form is the relationship, right? So it, uh, when we talk about relationship, it's not necessarily just, oh, between romantic between men and women and things like that, uh, but rather like, you know, you know parental, uh, you know, sibling relationship or, you know, uh, friendship in you know, kind of like a, a, a relationship. So in general, uh, they are more interested in those kind of things, whereas guys are more interested in, in more exact and more, you know, just things like solid things, real things. Right. I think that's why like, even in STEM, right? Uh, most students who, who go to, you know, like sciences and technology are more at, even now, it's still mostly men. Like you, uh, and whereas people who goes to you know psychology, social sciences, um, they're mostly females. So I think I think in in terms of um, you know biological uh, tendencies, there's already that uh, you know going against us in into a certain degree, um, and that's also cultural as well. I think there's a lot of things, a lot of words that we say to you know boys that that kind of like add up. Um, you know, like boys don't cry, oh, boys have to be tough, oh, don't be a girl, and all, you know, all those words that are being said, right? Um, they really affect and really set your psyche um, of how you react. Uh, and unfortunately, even, it's, it's funny enough, you know, when they, they, there's a study that found that um, we tend to say more words to a baby girl. Mm. So if you're a baby, and a, a female baby, right? People around them automatically, like instinctually speaks more words than if you are with a baby boy. And so when you're a baby, right? Your exposure to words also affect you in the future and how you, you process those words. Um, and so imagine if, you know, a, a, and I think the, 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 um, the comparison is quite significant. I need to look at the study again as well. But uh, so that's why, uh, a lot of times a baby girl will, you know, speak, uh, speak somewhat sooner than baby boys. And um, they speak a lot more. They, they speak a lot more. And I think it's both ways, right? They, they instinctually, they like to, you know, say more and people say more things to them. Whereas boys, they, you know, they care more about like, you know, running, running around and, and things like that. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, this has been, you know, I think that leads to different mm. ways, you know, but, and I think socially as well, um, a lot of men never even able to, they don't have the words, for example, to explain their emotion. Right. So what are you feeling right now? Uh, and, and a lot of times the only emotion that they're allowed to express is anger and happiness. Things that feel good means that you're happy. Things that when you feel bad means that you're angry, but there are a range of different emotions, right? You you might feel disgusted, you might feel sad, you might feel disappointed, and even those words, right? A lot of uh, male adults they don't even know which one is which. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think both. I think it's for me the way I see it. I think it's originated in biology, but society makes it way worse. So 
for me as a guy, what I find most confusing is how to distinguish between having a genuine problem versus just complaining. Uh, we talked earlier about how our culture and the way we were raised was still very much about that stop complaining, don't complain, just do the work and toughen up uh, kind of mindset. And my parents did tell me that uh, during a lot of times in my life. And if I look back on those times, I can't really say that they were always bad. Um, I remember um, after college, I was jobless for six months and I had to find a job because I wanted to stay there in the long term. And yeah, to be honest, like I was being lazy about it. I was complaining a bit about it. And them telling me to stop complaining and do the work um, wasn't toxic, I would say. I would say it actually motivated me to push through, um, even though in the end um, it didn't work out. I mean, to me, it's really just about doing my duties and responsibilities and as a man um, and taking responsibility of my life. A lot of people do just complain, right? Um, to use an extreme example, I mean, let's say you have two friends. One of them just suddenly lost their parent in a tragic accident um, while another friend is just pissed because he can't write first class um, uh, for one day and has to uh, downgrade to economy. Um, like, you know, the, that old meme, right? Like first world problems. Like I feel like for some people, they have like genuine problems that need help while for others, they just have these more first world problems where somebody just needs to tell them to toughen up and stop complaining. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, what do you think is the right way uh, for us to be able to distinguish between these two? Well, I, I think, well, there, I think you're talking about two things and I think I, I let me respond to the two things that, that, uh, that you were saying. I think um, you were talking about how um, in terms of toxic masculinity, right? There are things that you, that, that parents or, or friends or society say um, that, you know, like, you know, uh, you stop complaining, for example, as you said before, it's good. It's important, right? It is an important message. Um, you know, stop complaining and, and do something about it. Right. Mm. Um, I think with with things like that, with, with those sayings, I think um, the sense that I have is that uh, half truths half truths can sometimes be more harmful than a total lie. Mm. Well, what I mean by that is that, um, as you said before, right? You know, like uh, there are uh, when we talk about different things, right? When people say um, stop complaining, right? I think when people hear that stop complaining, they hear it and they absorb it and they interpret it as I should just shut down my emotion, don't listen to any of my emotion and just do what I need to be done, that needs to be done. And then so on, because of that, whenever they feel something, they just bury, bury the, their emotion, you know, and start to ignore their, you know, they, they just keep on ignoring their, their, their feelings, right? Right. Uh, throughout their life. And I think that's actually not what the full implication of, of the saying in the first place. Right. So, for example, as you said, you know, like when your parents say, "Stop complaining," right? Um, that doesn't necessarily mean actually when you when you when you put it in action does not mean that, oh, uh, I should whenever I feel sad, I don't I should ignore my sadness and just do what I need to do it because I need to stop complaining. Um, an example I can give is that someone someone passed away. Someone, let's say your parents passed away, for example. Um, when someone passed away, right, there's going to be a lot of different things that needs to be taken care of, 
right from the funeral reporting uh you know letting know letting your family knows letting your colleagues know even you know putting a newspaper announcement that you know your your you know your mother or your father passed away and things like that right and so as you said there's things that need to be done on the same time you are you you are devastated you feel devastated you're you're someone that you love and been taking care of you your whole life just passed away and so does that mean so is it is it one or the other uh, i think i think a lot of times we we think that it's one or the other oh you know i just need to take care of one and take care of and just bury my feeling and not acknowledge it or oh i'm gonna wallow in my in my emotion because dude my parent just died you know right you know what i mean but whereas actually um it's both both are required you need to do what you need to do right because that's part of your responsibility on the other hand does not mean that as you are doing it you you deny your emotion or you do not give yourself time to process your emotion and just like bury it and just totally ignore um, ignore it and and refuse to be face to face with it because it's not you know doesn't feel nice actually it's it's probably painful right mm. because you need to um, acknowledge the loss you need to process that pain in your in your you know in your heart things like that Um, both are actually required to be done in the, and, and at the same time, probably even, right? Or like within the same period of times. And I think this is where, you know, there are different skills and different ways and a, a, a direction that that actually it would be nice if there's a mentor or there's someone older than you that can help you walk through it, right? But unfortunately, a lot of times we don't have that, right? For example, going back to that, that uh, example of losing your parent, for example, Um, yeah, you need to take care of all of the details, all the logistics. On this same, on the other hand, you have to acknowledge that yes, you are sad. Yes, you feel devastated. You just lost someone, and there even during you know managing those different times, right? Different responses that you have, you need to carve out different times during that process to to mourn and open yourself and and kind of like reach out to people who are actually also willing to help you, uh, you know, process the grief that you have. You know, set aside a you know a few times. You know, when they're maybe saying to yourself, "Okay, I cannot mourn right now. I'm sad, right? I'm sad." But then I have to you know uh, meet and and talk with all these people, and I need to you know sign different documents and and take care of that. You know what? Later on, when it's a bit quiet down at nine o'clock, I will set aside a time for me to to mourn. Yeah. Uh, you know, and my my parent, for example, and I will maybe invite a few of my really good friends. Or uh, family members to into that space so that we can grieve together, for example. So that those are kind of like the the second example that that I would say um, is that you know half truths can sometimes be uh, more hurtful than than you know total lie, right? Um, so that's one thing that I want to say. I, and secondly, uh, when you talk about um, the, how do you differentiate between uh, someone who is going through a genuine hard time and someone who is like first world problem yeah <laughs> i think in that in that in that one that one is um i think a lot of time it comes to perspective the thing is the this person right um for for them not having to travel two hours in economy in, you know in, in the economy instead of like the business class that he used to or she used to is a problem It's just that when you compare that his problem with someone who just lost a parent, then you know it's it's almost like oh that is uh, 
so light that it's almost a no, no problem for, for you as a third person. But for that person who is experiencing it, it is a problem, you know, it is a, it is a, it is a, a valid problem, at least in his experience. Both have problems. Mm. Just because someone else's problem is bigger than you does not mean that your problem is not a problem. And I think assuming that the, the, your friend is a normal, you know, uh, you know, emotionally healthy human being, I think in a sense, he might feel confused and, and uh, misunderstood as well. Mm. Because I think to a degree, he, he himself knows it's a first world problem, but it sucks for him. So he even in, in inside him he might there might be like a a a struggle right it's like oh my gosh am I such a crybaby like how come you know all those things and I think in a bigger picture I think that's why sometimes uh, people with different social status will be hard it it might find it difficult for them to to empathize with one another right because yes every human being wants to be understood right and. Uh, mm. they also when they have to go through that right it is a problem because if you think about it right if you are used to a certain level of comfort and one day you, it has to go down it is uncomfortable and it can be something that you don't like it doesn't feel nice so you can even acknowledge that like oh yeah I, I can see how it can be annoying that when you especially I think it's also like something unexpected to happen right uh, I can see when something unexpected uh, like that happen, you it can kind of like annoy you, and it can kind of like you know makes you feel uncomfortable. You don't you don't necessarily approve of his action, right? But the feeling is still relevant and and still you know something that to be acknowledged. I think I, I think, I, think I, I that's how I put it. I would put it. Um. Okay, but don't you think someone like that? does deserve some tough love because i don't know man like when i see people like this um like usually all their friends and family are just like oh kasian kasian <laughs> and he's like oh woe is me i have to write economy for one day i can't be in my first class seat for this two-hour flight oh no this is terrible uh. <laughs> like to me i just want to tell that person dude it's not that big of a deal like economy's fine you know stop being so spoiled <laughs> oh, no, no. i don't I, i'm not saying that you should be doing all of that yeah that's different from acknowledging it <laughs> that's that's like that's like kind of like fake empathizing man <laughs> yeah I, I talk in a really sarcastic way um yeah, yeah, yeah i don't know no, but yeah it's see it's hard right to distinguish it i feel it's such a thin line between empathetically acknowledging versus uh like approving of someone's mm -hmm. wrong behavior um you know especially if um like your closest person and you have like a lot of that um like emotional biases towards this person that's mm -hmm. tough <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah i understand i understand I, I totally understand where you're coming from um and it, it can be annoying when you have someone who's who's you know quote unquote have a good life um complaining about first world problem. But on the other hand, as I said before, just because you acknowledge uh, what they're going through or what, what they're feeling does not mean that you approve. Mm. Right? But I think a lot of times, um, before you wanna say anything to the, to the person, they need to be felt that they're accepted, that you acknowledge what they're going through first anyway, right? And I'm not saying that, oh, acknowledge and then stop. 
that's where you know that's that's not the end goal um, if you are a friend right you want to also help them to find perspective help them to uh, be more self-aware of what they're they're complaining about and give them maybe a different perspective on how to see different things and so yeah first of all i think and i think this 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 will not probably happen in just one conversation right i think it's you know you requires a relationship and it probably requires a certain period of time um, to show that you do care about the person and that you want the, the best for them and at the same time caring and wanting the best for them means that you will also challenge them right I, my assumption here is this guy is just keep on complaining yeah uh, and so if that's the pattern then yeah you should you know i think one thing that you can do is that right listen acknowledge that your feeling is um again yeah your feeling is what you feel you know you can't control what you feel right but let's go through past that things that you complain about let's put it in perspective let's see the bigger picture and things like that <laughs> i remember we talked about this question offline before this call and when i first asked it i was actually operating under the assumption that with these two types of people um one has a problem while the other one doesn't and it's just complaining but i really like the way you put it that actually no um both types of people although we might not think it do have a problem and both of them need counseling um, the approach might be different and um, the advice you give might be different, but ultimately uh, both are individuals that have um, certain struggles that need to be acknowledged and they need um, people in their lives who genuinely care about them uh, and can point them in the right direction. So, yeah, I, I really like um, uh, how you put it. I, I really liked uh, your views on that one. Um, I've never really thought about it that way. So actually, one of the uh, last things I want to ask you is uh, we've talked a bit about how there has been progress in Indonesia in terms of how people view counseling and mental health. Um, fortunately, there has been a lot of progress uh, with people in our generation being more open to it and uh, caring about it and also a lot of high profile people uh, help thing to increase awareness effort as well but so what else can we do right moving forward to drive even more awareness and importance to this issue like what can we do at the individual level um to try to progress this even further i think in terms of mental health i think the first thing i mean there's there's different things that i think we can we can do to uh, bring about a more positive change. Yeah. Um, first acknowledging <laughs> first acknowledging acknowledging that yes mental health exists and mental health is important um and then uh, after you acknowledge it and when things happen that relates to it then also talk about it right um talking about it and and get yourself um educated about what is mental health uh what is that entail to how can we learn to keep our mind healthy right how can we be mentally healthy uh and that can be in through different ways um one amazing, for example, is like, uh, you know, if you're a male, if you're a man and you haven't been, you know, uh, well-versed with different emotions, for example, not just even learning the names of the emotions and what that emotion means can be helpful, right? Um, so maybe what you're going through is not anger. Maybe you're just sad. And if you're, if, and you and if the response that you have for your sadness is being angry, it actually will not be uh, taking care of the problem. So I think that's one. I think learning and acknowledging of your your emotion, what you're feeling right now, I think that's important, especially for guys as well. Another one is that be more uh, empathetic with what you say. Mm. Um, 
I think uh, knowing that, you know, mental health problems and conditions such as depression, anxiety are real. So when the people are saying that they, they're going through uh, those experiences, you know, when, when people start to learning about the, you know, about mental health, right? Sometimes they can uh, label themselves too easily. Oh, I'm going through depression. Uh, are, are you sure you're going through depression? Uh, are you just feeling blue? Are you just feeling sad? You know, like, please educate yourself and, and learn more about it. Uh, so, so educating yourself and, and getting more interested in all the, uh, in it in the topic can also be helpful, and uh, especially for guys, I think, I think with guys with men, what we could do actually is to learn more about what it is to be a man. Right. Yeah, I think um, at this, I'm not. It's not so much in Indonesia. But I in in the, in the east, but I do see it a lot of uh, in a lot of ways in the west. Uh, masculinity is viewed as something as negative, like masculinity itself in itself is negative, mm-hmm. and so there is there is some kind of like a movement to, you know, kill masculinity. Yeah, yeah, I'm aware. But um, that is really dangerous. I feel like, um, and that's also not helpful at all. Um, I think masculinity, masculine traits uh, are there for a reason. Uh, and masculine traits are in itself can be good or bad, uh, depending on where you take it. Same with feminism, you know, uh, feminist traits, right? Um, there are some feminist traits, not all feminist, feminine trait in itself is not immune from being toxic. So mm. both, both, uh, both traits can be positive or negative. I'm a Christian, and so I believe in in you know that we are created by a, a good God, and when God created male and female, you know, uh, I I believe that the traits that they have in itself, it's meant to be good. It's just that we use it for for bad, um, and so I think for male, I think for men uh, especially, um, we need to, I think we need to get more. Um, more in touch with our masculine traits in a sense and understand it better for example uh, i think one of the masculine traits that that have is aggression in general male you know men are more aggressive than female but that could be taken to different ways it can be uh, used to protect something or to destroy something and even then you need to question yourself what are you protecting and so when when the object of the things that you're protecting is clear and good then yeah you should fight for it you know for example right yeah, i think aggression is it's really uh i think aggression and fighting is is a uh, is very closely tied to each other and so i think i in i think in every uh, masculine trait is the it's the it's the desire to fight right and, and i think it's just where do you channel that desire to fight um what are you protecting get to know more about your masculine traits and see how can you do you know uh, use it for good i think that could be helpful for men um and even for their mental health um, because that means that you're accepting yeah. who you are right your masculine traits i think accepting who you are also uh, is is a part of being mentally healthy and knowing yourself and accepting yourself and and even improving upon that right so uh knowing it acknowledging it accepting it and improving upon it i think it's it's a journey that I think all men have to go through to be 
uh, healthier overall, especially mentally. And I think lastly, um, there's a quote by uh, Terry Pratchett. He's a is a is a British author. Um, he said that mm. responsibilities are the anvil on which a man is forged. And so mm. what I mean, what I see is that I think a lot of men um, nowadays refuse to take responsibilities or try to get away from responsibility as much as they can. Yep. But on the other hand, that is how you become a man when you have more responsibilities upon you, when you have more uh, restriction that you place upon yourself. I think. Uh, you know, in the form of responsibilities, I think that's when you can guide yourself to grow to be a man that you yourself can be proud of. And I think that's when your uh, the mental health issues for men can also be uh, be made better and to be improved. Yeah, um, I think the dichotomy you mentioned um, about men either being super like toxic alpha then on the other extreme discarding their masculine energy entirely uh to the point of not taking responsibility of their lives is what first inspired me i think to make uh, this podcast and base it on healthy masculinity because ultimately um both are toxic in my opinion like you said and the key is actually uh, again to use your masculine energy not to discard it but to actually use it uh, but for a good cause and i do think that if more and more people um can adhere uh, to this mindset it'll help out with the entire uh mental health um thing in general um because guys us guys can now be who we are um but in a way that brings good to society Thank you so much for coming uh, to this podcast, Akwa Lucas. Really appreciated uh, you giving the time. Uh, and for all listeners, definitely check Get Calm uh, on Instagram whenever you have the chance and download the app. Um, and yeah, always remember that it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay for us men to show our emotions and maybe even cry a little bit sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Lucas. Um, hope I can see you soon. Uh, but if not, um, yeah, stay safe and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for having me as well, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Um, you stay safe as well, okay? Thanks. Bye.